I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1998. The album is Funhouse. The artist Dana Gould and my guest is Woody Battaglia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. You host a delightful podcast called My Minute with Andre. Oh, you're so kind. And uh, <laughs> it's 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 fun, uh, and it was fun for me to be on, especially since you let me ramble for like three hours for some we reason. We definitely ended know. up talking quite a while on a, on a wide range of topics, most of, most of uh-huh. which were cut out just for, just in the interest <laughs> of time. Not because uh-huh. not because you're not delightful, but because my listeners are like you know get make with the make with the wall of Sean. Oh, okay, sure, sure that makes that makes sense. Uh, what uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself other than your podcast about my dinner with Andre? All right, aside from my podcast that is only about my dinner with Andre, I also <laughs> have other interests. Uh, so I am a stand-up comedian. Uh, I live and work in uh, in Western New York. I live in Rochester, and uh, uh, I play around the region currently. I am also uh, host a radio show called Almost Tuesday. That's a comedy variety show that airs monday nights around here uh on a station called wayo and uh and just you know i have a i have a huge interest in comedy and i've listened to your show for a while as well so i'm uh i was excited to to hear from you about uh, about being on my show what uh what kind of uh stuff is on your radio show the only reason i ask is because i never grew up with comedy as an option on radio so I'm, i'm always curious so it's a variety show, meaning that we also have live music performance every episode. So it's uh, awesome. It is like a miniature, no budget version of a maybe a Saturday Night Live, or mm-hmm. uh, also has a lot in common with like uh, the best show with uh, Tom Sharpling. So mm-hmm. it's we do a variety of different comedy segments. Uh, we'll do sketch stuff that we've written. We'll also do. Uh, sort of uh, improvised comedy segments. We'll also do segments where we're just talking uh, about whatever, and then we also have guests. So you know, like recently we had uh, we had on uh, LA comedian Barbara Gray. We've had on Nathan Rabin. Awesome. We've had uh, National Public Radio's Jesse Thorne. We've had you know a bunch of uh, we we tend to pull in some uh, notable people to call in and talk to us or be live in studio. We're also kind of on the pulse of the 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 comedy scene out here in uh, upstate New York and uh, extending into New York city. And we, uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, we're just, we're just kind of uh, documenting a lot of comedy and also, you know, making up a bunch ourselves. That's, uh, that's delightful. Can people stream it anywhere or is it only on terrestrial? Radio? Oh no, of course you can stream it. Uh, so our, uh, you can stream it at W a Y O F M dot org. That is, uh, Monday nights, Eastern time, nine to eleven p.m. And then also we put it out through a service because we also play copyrighted music and stuff. We use a service called Mixcloud for our archives. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's mixcloud.com/slash Almost Tuesday because they take care of the of the licensing for the music oh. stuff. So that way I don't have to chop up the show into tiny pieces and put it yeah. and put it out uh iTunes style because obviously you you throw that stuff in there and it will it will eventually be rejected. Right, right. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Okay, so let's do this. Uh Dana Gould's stuff was released eventually on vinyl, not originally. So like we said, this is a 1998 album. Right. When did you first hear it? Uh so I first heard it pretty close to when it came out. I think I was actually living in my first apartment uh in i probably heard it in 1999 or 2000 Mm -hmm. but i had heard a bunch of this material on tv prior to this because danny gould was in the 80s and 90s one of these perennial comedians who you'd see on all of the television showcase shows like evening at the improv etc 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 uh, so I had seen uh, I had seen a bunch of these bits. He was a person who I never knew his name, but I knew stuff from his act. And then I learned who yeah. he was uh, later on when I was searching for comedy to listen to and watch when I was living in my first apartment with my roommates. And we were all big fans of like Mr. Show and Danny Gold's kind of Mr. Show adjacent, like sort of in the alternative comedy, you know, boom of the mid late nineties. Sure. 
I used to think he was Paul F. Tompkins. When I was a little <laughs> bit younger, I confused him and Paul F. Tompkins. Now, their voices aren't even that similar. They don't look – they look a little similar when Paul does not have a mustache. Sure. I call him Paul because, of course, we're best friends. You and Paul. First name basis. Your buddy P- you PFT. Know, me. Uh-huh, yeah. We've been in a room together once. Uh, so – uh yeah, I used to confuse the two of them, and eventually it sort of became clear that they're very, very different men, including in terms of style, although I don't know what kind of comedy Paul Tompkins was doing at this time. Uh, now, I, I, I'll just tell people, so, it was, you know, I enjoyed a lot of what I heard. It's a little dated. Oh, it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> And I and that's part I of the reason that generous. I picked it because I thought we'd have a lot to talk about because I know that you yeah there is I know on your show you cover a lot you know what what you could say and what you can't say or well whatever you can say anything you want but but what right. probably isn't going to get a good reaction from an audience these days mm-hmm. and what people would find to be uh, questionable or offensive or <laughs> hurtful to some people or whatever uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah yeah I mean and much as like I might listen to it and be like well you know. He means well. It's also like, well, okay, that's fine if he means well, but he still said it. But there's some really funny shit on it too. Like yeah. there's genuinely some very, very funny stuff. Um, you can tell that uh, his voice. You can tell what of his voice has flavored The Simpsons since he started writing on it too. Absolutely. It's so weird to me that this this guy's particular obsession with particular parts of pop culture have made their way i don't know i i'm not articulating it properly maybe you can say it better because i feel like you're probably more familiar with his work i know i know exactly what you're trying to say like so dana gould has a few different fascinations which (laughs) sort of translate themselves into pop culture he is obsessed with old science fiction and uh, uh movies and monster movies from like the late 60s and backward so mm-hmm. anything up to uh, anything from the Universal Monsters up to Planet of the Apes is is all in his wheelhouse, and yeah. uh, and Planet of the Apes is like his favorite movie. He's been on a lot of podcasts talking about it. Uh, he has his own mm-hmm. podcast where he's talked about it at length, um, and then also just old Hollywood culture is a thing that yeah. he talks about a lot. Like old polls of actors, even if they weren't actors in like monster movies or anything. He's yeah. he's sort of the guy for those references. Also things like uh, also, you know, UFOs and uh and anything that you'd find on the X Files that's also like kind of hit in his uh Right. Yeah, and uh and then and then also like uh ninety or eighties alternative music like the Smiths and things like that. <laughs> For example, on this record. It's it's a very particular world he lives in. You know, he also he's fortunate because I've talked about this before. There are a bunch of people who I've met who I just they'll tell me the stories. Uh, so I'm getting them like third or fourth hand like their associations with old Hollywood because I love old Hollywood. But I'll speak to people. They're like, yeah, I got, I was speak, speaking to somebody who's been on the show before. Yeah. And he's like, oh, did I tell you we were just having a conversation on the phone? He's like, did I tell you I was friends with Milton Berle? And I'm like, Fuck, no, you didn't <laughs> tell me you were friends with Milton Berle. This guy is too young to be friends with Milton Berle. No he less. knew him. It, it, right, it's insane, and like he literally, he got to walk into his special humidor in his in this cigar shop, and he said, "Hey, give Dan a, a box of my cigars." You know the good ones from direct from Cuba, and oh, wow. like so I'm just like, "You motherfucker!" And I mean that in the <laughs> politest way because I love this particular Dan, but uh, it was just like, "God damn it!" Like th- th- that's a world that I've missed, and Dana Gould is there on the cusp too of like they they weren't all dead yet. Uh, it's true, you know, and he and, made friends with he like made friends with Vampira. Oh my god! Like he he literally he made he was actually supporting Vampira in the last few years of her life. He was like paying her rent and like taking oh her to god. the doctor and stuff like that because he had befriended her and it was kind of the she had she had seen the the same situation with Dana Gould as like uh, Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi in the movie Ed Wood. Yes, it's basically the same relationship where he finds her and then he becomes her like benefactor because he's a super fan from his childhood. Is it weird to that I partially and I I feel like Dana Gould probably had this too and that's why it happened. You kind of if you're me you're like I kind of want to be that guy. I kind of want to be the guy who takes care of this 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 legend who is uh, unappreciated. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Is that <laughs> it's, Yeah, it's a like weird thing. What, what day I hope to do this do with it. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh my God! What? Are I mean, I'll I'll settle for Steve. Gooden, <laughs> that's what I'm, asking, so that's fine. I'm trying to. I'm it. it was my first poll of like somebody that from my childhood <laughs> who I don't who isn't doing a ton of work right now. Right. Is probably. But, good, also, but I think Gutenberg's probably also, doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's pr he's probably doing fine. Yeah, absolutely. But doesn't have yeah. to work. That's the thing. That's that's a solid one. No, that's pretty good. I and like I ran. So I interviewed this episode. Will yeah, this episode will have run before yours does because these are now way 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 behind. Yeah, but oh, I interviewed I'm, I'm Paul way Dooley. Is what's happened. <laughs> it I I get it. No, we both are. Uh, I interviewed Paul Dooley the other day, oh. and he, he's a delight. And I didn't realize he had just turned 90. So Holy he's cow. not only been in stuff, yeah, forever, but he also, we're talking after the interview shuts down, of course. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, and then I met Buster Keaton. Uh, he was my hero, and I got to meet Buster. I'm like, oh, shit, there are some people around who legit got to meet some people that I would have killed to meet. Like, you know, he, he met Buster Keaton. He also talks about how on his second or third Robert Altman movie, Robert Altman had never read anything he'd written or knew if he'd read anything. Like, hey, you want to write a movie for me? Like he's been, had these very weird Hollywood experiences that he is just like, he gets to rattle off. And I'm like, damn, that's the kind of Hollywood that I, I want to have right. a connection with, you know? Yeah. That's so much fun. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. The idea that there's, that there's still people alive who have like these, these stories from a time when things are like simpler or, like uh, it was smaller there were fewer there were maybe fewer celebrities there were fewer for sure the, it, uh, there was less money somehow i mean even though these people were rich it was like right you know movies weren't making billions and billions of dollars <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i actually kind of wanted to ask paul dooley about this because uh where i interviewed him was in toluca lake california which at one point was basically owned by uh bob hope bob hope basically owned this entire part of LA. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I and I don't know enough of the details. I forgot to add. That's 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 a guy that I'd like to interview somebody about. Again, I'm sure the 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 previously mentioned Dan. I'm sure. Oh, yes, he did. He wrote for Bob Newhart on one of his last specials. That's one of the or not Bob Newhart. Bob Hope. Sorry, wrote for Bob Hope on one of his last specials. And I'm like, God damn it! You were like 20. How'd you get to write for Bob Hope? And why would he? That's whatever. That's fine. I'm very jealous. I'm very <laughs> jealous of these guys. Uh, so when you first heard this, like I can definitely tell if I had listened to this cause this came out when I was 18, if I'd have heard it when I was 18, uh, I wouldn't have noticed any of the stuff that I now might be a little irked by. And I probably would have loved the shit out of this album. Yeah. It, it, that's the thing is that at the time this was, I think this is representative of like the cutting edge of comedy at the time mm -hmm. because I mean, this is the alternative era where it was okay to talk about weird pop culture stuff which was a thing that really mm -hmm. wasn't in comedy before i think nearly as much because everybody was trying to play to the biggest audience possible this is where sure. this is where comedians like dug in and found their particular audience and it was the same audience of people who might go see you know uh who might go see uh dinosaur jr would also be interested in going to see danny gould or or uh, or Sarah Silverman or Mark Maron or, right. or uh, you know whoever uh, David Cross in the in the nineties. So I think that uh, at the time I was like, oh, here's somebody who talks about things that I also kind of know about. And I'm, I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not into monster movies as much as Danny Gould, but I definitely identify. Like he mentions. Uh, he mentions Nine Inch Nails in here, which is a band I listened to when I was in high school, and I was like, sure. and and for me, that's like, oh my god, there's a new generation of comedians who can do, uh, who are, and it was actually one of the things that inspired me to do comedy myself because I'm like, oh okay, it's okay to talk about the things that are in my real life, and also it was progressive for its time now i know that there's plenty it of was. stuff in this record that's that are that's crazy you wouldn't i mean and he wouldn't do it now but uh right. but back then i mean like he's talking about how he has a gay friend who he's trying to uh introduce to his parents and this whole thing where he's trying to i mean the fact that like he's like i'm cool with my gay friend but i think my gay friend should jump back into the closet for when my parents visit is very mm -hmm. much a totally fine thing and good for you buddy back in and now it's completely crazy to any of us you know right yeah and but and it's at the very least a bit like that plays a little more like you can sort of you can sort of get it uh and I, honestly to me my favorite stuff on here is his most absurd when he gets yeah. to the less 
honestly, the the stuff that's maybe a little bit less about his actual life, like specifically when he's talking about uh, <laughs> when he's talking about uh, old ad slogans, like yes. the very simple ones that are very stupid, it's and maybe he says the best something bit about. about if you don't like milk, try sucking my ass. If I remember something yeah, to that effect. Yeah, milk, enjoy. <laughs> and if you, <laughs> it, uh, what does he say? Milk, enjoy it. And if you don't, why? Or oh shit, I can't remember now. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. But why try sucking my ass is the punchline. Or, or why not yep. try sucking my ass? And <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, <laughs> it was like cheese, you fuck, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoy that bit. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the let's see where they're doing the the pitches for what uh, what Neil Armstrong is gonna say uh, when he steps <laughs> onto the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's great. I think that oh the uh, the Vincent Price dating bit is very good because <laughs> his impression is so good. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, th- that's another thing that I guess I didn't expect with him. I didn't honestly didn't expect him to be a voice guy because I'm realizing now I've seen him on stuff. I know he writes for The Simpsons. I don't know that I've ever heard his comedy before today. People would be like, what are you doing? Well, it's like, obviously, I listen to a bunch of old shit. So right, uh, right. I'm still catching up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, so I guess I didn't expect the voice stuff. Yeah. It, it's funny that and I don't think I thought too much of it at the time either. But doing impressions, I think it used to be more common. Mm-hmm. To do a ton of impressions, and now I feel like you're either, I feel like you're either an impression guy or not. I feel like you're either James Adomian, or mm-hmm. you're, or you're somebody who completely doesn't ever do impressions. Uh, and and Dana Gould is kind of this hybrid where he's he's doing regular, you know, classic stand-up stuff about like relationships and his parents and his his regular life or whatever and then he's also going into a fantasy place where he's doing impressions of actual celebrities or a lot of his bits have like a real act out uh a, a sense to them where he's like acting out a scene and he's really going for it mm-hmm. I, I like how earnest he is and that he's and that he uh he performs these bits for real yeah, I feel like that's the kind of being the ham that I am. Like, if I were to do stand up, which will probably never happen, uh, that would be where I would fall. Because in, in conversation, I find myself doing voices whether people want to hear them or not. So if, <laughs> I, I wonder if he's that kind of guy in conversation, too. He strikes me as it, though he might be. I'll bet that he is, and I'll bet that he's a real talker. I mean, he has a he has his own podcast called The Dana Gould Hour, and it's mm-hmm. three hours long, uh, first of all. <laughs> Woof. Holy shit! And it's him. He only puts it out once a month. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it's but he talks to. It's kind of like he weaves together different interviews that he's recorded at different times. So they kind of okay. jump back and forth with like some interstitial music, and then he does some monologuing, and he has like a little comedy bit that he does with John Ennis from Mr. Show, where they're like two guys from Boston uh, chatting about whatever. Um, so he does a lot of, and he, yeah, he's doing like a Boston voice in that too. I mean, he's from. Massachusetts, but he really hams up the Boston accent for some bits that he does. Um, but yeah, it was it, going back to what you said earlier, though. It is interesting that like his sensibility of these of old timey movie culture and uh, and monster movies and stuff like Planet of the Apes and stuff like seeps into uh, the Simpsons, which he wrote on for you know something like ten or a dozen years or something up until just a few years ago and then he went out and now he makes his own show on uh on uh what do you call uh i don't it's not a it's uh ifc <laughs> on ifc he makes oh, okay. a show on ifc sure. called stand against evil which is oh i'm an idiot i've seen that show and it's delightful yeah he's the, the serious creator and the writer for that show basically mm-hmm. and he and he plays interestingly enough because he talks I about actually haven't on seen this the show new- so you got one up on me there it's it's not bad. I I like it quite. I mean, I watched it for Janet Varney, who I adore. She's so much fun to watch. Love that. Jamie. And John C. McGinley. Sure. Okay. And it's it's fun. And Dana Gould plays a character on there who's who's. I mean, he's just the uh, what do you call it? He's the groundskeeper at the at the cemetery. Oh, okay. And so he gets to play the old creepy guy, which kind of he talks about on this album too. Except he talks about him at the dump. Right. The, the one eyed guy at the dump. The guy at the dump. That's always the you know. There's this there's this weird thing of specificity in comedy that is clearly specific only to you but you you're good enough to suck the audience in so they're like yeah of course there, yeah there's always that guy with one eye at the dump like everybody laughs at that right. specificity as though they know it and they're like no i'm 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 along for the ride because it clearly is important to you 
I, I never went to the dump as a kid. I didn't have we had we had, I lived in the suburbs, but we had garbage pickup at our house. So uh-huh. never had to go to the dump. I do notice that he qualifies it before he says he, he says, here's the thing that uh, that only men who grew up in the suburbs will understand. Uh-huh. And he says that, and obviously he gets the whole room anyway, but uh, yes. but it's interesting that he qualifies that and that I mean, it maybe things were different when he was growing up versus that maybe garbage pickup to your suburban home was not a thing until right. until 15 years later when I was a kid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I, I again, and I, you wonder how much of that specificity is like. Let's see what I can get people to agree with, like just as an experiment. Right. Uh, how about your stand-up? I mean, like, how what's what's your ratio? I don't expect an actual math bit a bit of math. Oh, let but me what's just your go, ratio go of actual and, uh, personal shit up. to not? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm, yeah, you mean like uh, personal like stories about myself versus just bits about the world? Uh, yeah, in general, I would say it's about half and half. Okay, uh, I I find that the doing the personal bits where you talk about your real life or or things that are introductory to hey this is these are things about me that you should know which is going to help the rest of my stand-up set like i front load a lot of stuff about my life right at the beginning and then that way uh it's like people are used to who i am and then i can take them on a trip anywhere else i guess uh yeah talk about just things from my point of view that are just stuff that i talk about like i do you know uh you know things about things about like jobs i've had and uh, I don't know. Um, and then yeah, I would say I would say something like half and half. I might go back and forth between things, and it uh, and also it depends. Like sometimes you don't want to do uh, a ton of personal stuff, and it, and sometimes with an audience that is not necessarily there for comedy. Like if you get on a yeah, you know, I've done shows where it's like somebody asks you, "Hey, can you come and do five minutes on this show?" And it's some kind of a dinner. And there's a local politician speaking, and then uh, they're gonna eat, and then some, then the, a band's gonna play later. And for some reason, I've figured out how to squeeze comedy into this thing. And and by the way, I'm paying you with dinner, and uh, these people don't know you for these people didn't even know they were there was gonna be comedy on the bill. They just knew about a free meal, or they're friends with this politician, or whatever, or supporters. And then, and then you have to go in there, and it's like surprise, it's comedy, and you're trying to get like a bunch of people with like chicken in their mouths to pay attention to you. And right, uh, and in those cases, it's it's less fruitful to be like, let's talk about me. You sometimes you just have to go for the broad stuff, or the or maybe even like more pop culture stuff where you can try and find common ground with people in, in a really short period of time. There's not a lot of other art forms, I don't think, where you have to necessarily, for time or for audience, uh, cut down, go from like lengthy art piece to pop art piece. Like you can do it in other art forms like music, but it's not sure. that often. Stand-up's one of those that's so adaptable. Uh, that you just have to be like, oh, no, this this entire piece of this thing that I might consider my art, I have to excise for the sake of these weirdos in this audience. Yeah, it's true. You really do. It's And when I, uh, you know, considering your the audience you're in, and especially in the place where I am, like I've been doing comedy for six years now, uh, doing mm-hmm. stand-up for six years. I've been hosting comedy shows for five years. You know, I've been on the radio for three years, whatever. Uh, but, you know, at, at a we're still at a point and I'm still in the sort of a region where, uh, where you're going, where, where it's not like you have these big sets of fans or a huge audience who's coming out to see just you. So you have to reintroduce yourself to people almost every time you go on. And yeah, so you're never a known quantity. Like I assume that Danny Gould is doing this show, uh, this, his first comedy record, he's doing it. Like friends of his are in the audience, or people know him yeah. around town. He's in L.A. He at this point he's probably already been he has been on TV doing stuff. Uh, sure, you know he's written for TV. He's been in sketch comedy stuff, whatever. And so he's you know he's a he's sort of a known person, and and people kind of know what to expect when they're going to see him. 
And that's not the case when people come to see me on a show, for mm-hmm. the most part. For the most part. I mean, it's stuff that I do every week. People understand that. People listen to the radio show understand that. But when I go out there and do some stand-up gig that somebody booked me on, then you have to you have to decide, you know, oh, this thing that I love, this sort of, you know, artier piece, like you're saying, uh, that has, like, some sort of a message that I'm trying to put out there, like, about me or about the world or about something that I think, that about a deeply held personal belief or whatever. Sometimes that stuff falls to the wayside just for the sake of survival in a semi-hostile environment, you know? Right. Do you think most people... Okay, so... I don't know the sales numbers on an album like this, but let's assume they were good enough for him to keep going as a person and as a, as a comedian to make another album. Sure. Uh, do you think the people who are familiar with him feel familiar with him or feel familiar with this is a guy who has made me laugh before? Do you think there is actually as much as we give uh, credit to this idea that, hey, they, they should know something about me, they should be comfortable with me, familiar with me. As you say, you've got to do exposition, and which I imagine is also funny exposition, sure. which is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, Right? But then you've got somebody like him who's like, I've seen you a bunch, you've never made me cringe, or you have made me laugh every time, therefore I'm familiar with that, rather than I'm familiar with you, even subconsciously from your material. Like, I wonder what the majority of people knew him from uh, by the time, you know, maybe his next album comes out. Like, do you have any perspective on that? Because I'm, I'm just curious, because do you really need to make people know who you are and give a shit who you are? Or is it a matter of, I've seen you be funny before, that's enough for me? Uh, I think I think it's probably more the latter. Uh, yeah. I, 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 don't th- I, I, I think that if, I don't think people have to be like, oh, I haven't seen Dana Gould's stand-up in particular, therefore I'm not sure I want to go see him do stand-up. Right. You know what you do? You find, uh, and I and this is what happens, like uh, the the comedy club circuit, even the the best rooms or whatever, they're, uh, they're bringing around people who, mostly people who are known from TV in some way. Now, some of those people started out as professional stand-ups and then got on TV, like uh, Dana Gould. And, mm-hmm. uh, or some, and then some of those people were TV people in, in comedy on television in some way, but were never stand-ups and had to learn it because they had the mm. opportunity to go on the road because you can sell tickets for somebody that people are familiar with on TV or, or who have been in the movies or something like that. Like, you know, like Steve-O from Jackass, he was never a stand-up, but right. he literally does comedy club stand-up ask tours Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know much to the chagrin of of many comics who wish that you know that that it was you know for the art of it or whatever but yeah people go see steve-o they don't care they don't care if they've seen him tell jokes before yeah that's a good point that's the weirdest shit that i've ever heard now like i've seen people say hey look jake the snake roberts is at a club and but like it's clear that oh he's telling stories from his wrestling days he's not necessarily doing stand up i guess but he's getting booked in stand up clubs which is fucking weird right yeah it's the same um, kind of it's it's it's, a, it's similar although i'd rather see uh, jake the snake or uh whatever mankind or whatever i'd rather see i'd rather see them than i than than steve-o who yes who wasn't i mean the thing about wrestlers is wrestlers are professional talkers as much as they are yeah. athletes. So, you know, and like he's a guy who's like, I've been hitting the balls a bunch. Hi. Like, right. That's like, what else? Like, and what else? They've does he done have to offer? presentational things into microphones. Whereas Steve-O was a, a, just a maniac, you know, lighting fireworks out of his butt. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, snorting wasabi or whatever, but he wasn't, they weren't, they they never had to learn to talk and get laughs or anything. The laughs right. are the it's completely physical comedy. So like and then Steve O, I guess when he I haven't seen this, but he's been uh-huh. to my town many times. I have not attended. I apologize, Steve O, if you're out there <laughs> listening. But <laughs> but uh but I understand that he does a couple of like stunts that you can do inside of a because he's also like a prof- he's also a clown. He went to the clown college. That I did not know. He's a yeah, Holy he's shit. he's a real deal clown, that Steve O. Uh, he went to the Ringling Brothers Clown College, and <laughs> so I guess he's got he's got physical stuff that he can do on stage. But then, but then I guess the rest of it is one time we were on the set of Jackass and we did blah blah blah, or whatever. God. I you know, <laughs> yeah. See, that's weird to me. It's like uh, it's like it's oh hey, it's the '30s, and uh, we got this circus geek who's out of work. He he used to eat the heads off of chickens. Uh, he wants to perform now. 
Yeah. Uh, you got any you know bits you can write for this guy? Right. And really, I mean, it, you'd have to. All his bits would sur- surround uh, eating the heads off of chickens. That would be everything he'd have. Most to talk of the about. bits, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen one of these chickens? Chickens, am I right? <laughs> you see him? They're out in the yard. <laughs> Too much. Uh, you know, they say they can run around with their heads cut off. Uh, I had to test that theory once, uh, but I didn't have an axe around, so I bit its head off. I bit uh, its head off, you know. <laughs> yep, that's and then that's that's all it is. I almost delivered that Norm Macdonald style, and I apologize. I'm stealing that from my buddy Alan, who does a very good fake Norm Macdonald joke. Uh, I love Norm Macdonald it's, so much. <laughs> oh, it's it's hard not to like Norm Macdonald. He's still good, and I don't get it. Yeah, uh, there because are a lot of guys in his generation who have aged out already. Right, because he's because he's also kind of a dinosaur in his beliefs or whatever. Well, Danny Gould has remained a pers- a questioning, a seeking person who sure uh, who does still like to push it, but mm-hmm. has figured out, but but also wants to do well in the room and has retired. I mean, I'm sure he retired these bits anyway because he wrote new material and started. He actually took a huge break from stand-up working on The Simpsons and having a family and stuff. And then yeah. came back to it in like the last five, six, seven years and uh, and put out like two or three more albums, which are also right. very good. Um, which are very good and very and much more modern. You you can see you can see the difference. It's not a situation where it's like, you know, like Tim Allen is out here, <laughs> you know, uh, the last man standing or whatever. <laughs> uh, Dana Gould has has remained a person who whose thoughts have evolved on a lot of these issues. I've heard him talk about how he would not like, for example, there is a there's the huge use of the R word in this uh, in this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can tell that, like, that's the culture that he comes from. Yeah. Uh, where you just say that and nobody cares and who cares of it. And he realized at some point that that was hurtful. I listened to him. He was on an episode of the, of the Jordan Jesse go podcast in like maybe yeah. 2009, 2010, something like that. Like way back when they were new. And that's like a long time ago now. And he talked to them about how, about how he realized that that word was hurting people and people, enough people talked to him and then he, and then he stopped doing it. Like yeah. he won't do like people would request that bit and he would he wouldn't do it anymore. Well, and I that's I mean that's I would say the minimum you could ask. Most people don't meet that minimum, but I'm glad that he does. Like I I, I, I he's one of the and I kind of assumed when you and I got to talking about this that I would that that would he just strikes me as that kind of guy where he would be like ah well maybe because I, especially if you listen to the number of things in this album that are trying to portray him he's trying to portray himself as an open minded dude. Sure, he is. Yes. So and I mean. You either do that because you're actually a monster or because you're trying to point out, hey, I'm on the side of probably several people in this room. I don't want you to think I, I, I have any hate in my heart. Sure. Uh, you know, and so. And I don't think I, the bits are you know, hateful as much no. as they are ignorant. Ignorant Absolutely. of the idea that there is somebody. Like, because I think I think the old theory with the R word in particular, which I'm not even going to mm-hmm. say. We know the mm-hmm. one. Uh, the, the ableist uh, slur. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I think that it used to be like, well, where's the victim of this crime? Because that person's there's none of those people in this room or something like that. Right. right. And, right. and maybe and maybe because of their uh, because of uh, of their disability, they might not understand that you're making fun of them anyway. Blah, blah, blah. That kind of stuff, which is horrible. Like, like yeah. that's not like that's the old way of thinking about things, which is a bad way to think about things, which I completely reject. I just want to go on the record and say that I do uh-huh. think that Dana Gould is probably one of those people who just didn't realize. And because of the culture that he comes from, like and nobody told him or who knows what uh, he hadn't thought it all the way through that. that guess what? There's also people who are who have friends and who have family members who are uh who have are mentally disabled and then also that uh just general people out in the world think that it's not nice <laughs> mm-hmm. to uh to to punch down and right. and uh and i think at some point he probably figured it out and now he doesn't he doesn't do any stuff like that so what's what's interesting is he leans into the word he starts out doing a bit where that the word is Almost used clinically, uh, because he's talking about somebody do. I can't remember what the bit is. Oh, that, it's that somebody... oh his dad. He's saying that his his dad would point out. He's like every town has a town 
uh, person who is disabled, uh-huh. let's say, and which is which sounds which also is a weird old. Th- he comes from a small town, so maybe yes, yeah. So and then his dad, when they were driving, would point out to his mom, "Oh, there's your boyfriend," pointing to yeah. that person, which is a horrible thing. And he was pointing it out as his dad being shitty. Yes, yeah. So exactly. he's he, so he's on the side of not making fun of that guy in that way, but then he goes on. Mm-hmm. To, and then he uses a, and then he uses a, uh, a, a, a voice. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh boy. And that's and that's really the bit. That's that's the bit that he w- refuses to do ever now. Uh, right. For sure, is that like because he and he said people used to ask for it, and he where it was the the bit where he's where he's saying that, um, that wouldn't it be terrible? Or like it's like a if an intolerant person suddenly. Uh, became mentally disabled or yes. uh, uh, we, you know then uh, and then they were upset about it and then he acts it out yeah and it's, it's like, isn't it this, like what it's if you woke weird... up and it was like your just desserts order but then but the the person the 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 supposition of that bit is that it, the 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 premise is oh wouldn't it be horrible to be a disabled person yes like a fate worse than death basically Right. And uh, that's not cool. <laughs> no. No. And it's weird because the, the perfect irony there is like, hey, I'm trying to be open minded here. <laughs> right. And, and at the same time, the only way I can display it is through this other set of ignorant suppositions that I've just got built into my brain. Yeah. And, you know, I do respect people working past it, um, you know, and because I, I try so hard, like, not to be. Uh, well, I don't try not, not to be a to bleeding heart. Not to condemn people out of hand or whatever. Yes, like exactly. Uh, I am a bleeding heart. Which is heart. tough I in mean, a lot of cases. Like, yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, especially, you know, I mean, I've given a little more, uh, you know, leeway to people who are not Bill Cosby and Woody Allen. You know what I'm saying? Like, they unfortunately have set this standard of low as people yeah. where it's like, okay, well, your material's not great, but you, you're not that guy. So I'll give you a chance to evolve. And again, it sounds like Dana Gould has evolved, like pretty sure, pretty properly. And, the, and that's the thing, like, and, and it's, and the, and the reason I picked this album is because it was part of my sort of my formative time thinking about stand-up comedy and sure. i i knew this guy from the 80s and 90s like 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 doing doing clean material on tv i mean none of this stuff would have ever made it on tv that we're talking <laughs> about uh even at the time i i don't think i don't think anybody was was running around with with the with the r word on tv even right and uh and i think that uh and that there's just so much of it that is very inventive and and creative and has uh and just the kind of the fantasy world that he's building or the sort of uh the the attention to detail like the uh like the answering machine bit uh-huh. which is where where he's where where he's analyzing a, a message on an, an answer for those of you who are too young an answering machine mm-hmm was like a box that had voicemail in it that was attached to your phone in your own home and it was recorded on a small cassette tape uh you know there's uh, a... sorry go ahead no uh but but yeah but he does this bit where he's where he's uh trying to uh, where he gets a, a voicemail from an ex-girlfriend and it's very quick and vague and then he starts analyzing it and he does sound effects. He's like Michael Winslow. He's doing, he's doing sound effects with his mouth only that are of him playing the tape back and rewinding the tape. The sound of the tape rewinding. The sound of the button being pushed again. Uh, and he's he's got a masterful uh, uh, faculty with with that kind of stuff. I kind of respect that in terms of like. I again here's where I become a grandpa. I wish a lot of uh, artists and things that that became famous had maybe a little bit more of a background in things other than whatever they become famous for. You know, like it, there used to be this cool thing where you could be a triple threat or at the very least Jim Neighbors who played this friggin' idiot hick could also sing like a, an angel. Uh, right. Where it's just I it's always fun to be surprised by people. And you know, I kind of respect like any I'm okay with a, com- a comedian who can also play guitar. It doesn't bother me. I'm also like super cool if you can do a good sound effect like if you could do it well why not do it because it yeah. does lend something to it i think so and i and i think that that's imp- I, I feel like people would be impressed today i think that there's 
things have swung and and maybe they're maybe they're starting to swing again and we're starting to get more silly which i hope uh is true and i and mm-hmm. i have felt and honestly i feel like it's held me back in a certain way because i would like to be more like dana gould i would like to be doing more crazy act outs or weird sound effects or sing mm-hmm. or or any of the any of the things that he, that he's doing um that are more performative and less just talking and i think that there there was a turn maybe in the last starting maybe 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. where the the turn was away from uh away from uh dan cook <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the like and it was a turn toward uh you know uh that that other monster louis ck um mm-hmm. and people in the premium was put on a person speaking uh sort of seamlessly conversationally sounding only about their actual life and sort of uh this sort of verite thing uh, where yeah. where where the premium was on 100% authenticity and honesty, and I am exactly the person that you see on stage, off stage, and that's what we've all been talking about for the last 10 years. Mm. And I think that there is in that in that back in the late 80s, early 90s, things had gotten a little crazy with everybody. Uh, with everybody doing this sort of canned uh, hacky stuff and the whatever oversaturation and airplane food and everything that everybody complains right. about that time and then there was a swing for the alternative stuff in the 90s and the alternative stuff was a swing towards absurdism right uh and i and i feel like what i feel like we could really at this point i think i'm i'm sick of everybody to a certain extent uh only doing this stuff that that is uh that is this is my life and it's gritty and it's dark and there's a place for all of that stuff but i'm kind of over it at this mm-hmm. point and i've heard i've been listening to it and i've been hearing it in rooms and everybody wants to do it still and i'm kind of uh i'm kind of looking for some for some silly stuff or some uh short jokes i mean like whatever happened mm-hmm. to like steven wright uh yep. things of that nature and what happened to uh, what happened? Or like, uh, I mean, uh, another big influence on me at the same time uh, that this Dana Gould album came out was that uh, maybe in 2000-ish was that uh, Eddie Izzard Dressed to Kill special. Oh, God damn it. That's such a good fucking special. It's one of the best. Like, if that was an album on vinyl, I might have picked that one just because it's, it'd be so much fun to talk about. Like, I can, it's it, it's so quotable. Like, you can, yep. my sister and I still talk back and forth uh, in that language of it. It's, mm-hmm. you know I think it's fun. I think it's funny. He's a mass murdering fuckhead. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in a ditch, covered in petrol on fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's also one that I shared with my sister as well. Uh, it's uh, that's a god damn it. If there's any way we can ever swing talking about Eddie Izzard on the podcast, uh, I'll have you on because I, uh, I could do that forever. Oh yeah. Oh please, I would love to. And yeah, and that I mean that special. And we were watching Mister Show, which was mm-hmm. which was super weird and absurd and the sketches didn't make much logical sense a lot of the time or like here's a weird exercise and we're just gonna have this guy knock over these thimbles again and again and again for no reason you know yeah right (laughs) yeah what's what's your position on and you be as honest as you like on carrot top uh carrot top i i think that carrot top has been doing his carrot top thing and that he you know, and they used to make fun of Carrot Top on Mr. Show. Mm-hmm. They did. They called. They had a character on Carrot Top or on Mr. Show called Blueberry Head. It was a. <laughs> it was an extremely not disguised. Um, <laughs> Stupid God reference. Yeah, Blueberry Head. <laughs> My God. Holy but, shit. Uh, so I think I was trained to hate Carrot Top, and I was trained to hate prop comedy in mm-hmm. that age. And that there was like it wasn't cool, and there was something about the. 90s and the alternative boom and there was something about Jeannie Garofalo and uh and David Cross and and Danny Gould and these people that uh th- where it wasn't it wasn't cool to have props so it, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't cool to be overly it was like it was like they could do their little absurdisms and their and their 
uh, uh, you know, and their and their whatever and their I don't care stuff. But I think that like the the appearance of somebody trying that hard and putting yep. on an old timey show, basically, because Carrot Top is putting on like an old timey vaudeville act or something. Basically, it's yep. like that's that's the tradition of it. Um, I haven't seen so much Carrot Top material recently that I couldn't. I mean, like I haven't been to Vegas and seen his the show that right. he's installed doing. But I'll 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 bet you you go see that show and you laugh. That's all I've heard, and everybody says he's a very nice dude. Uh, so. Yeah, it's really weird to me because I, I, when I was a kid, I loved the shit out of him. And then I also fell for the cynicism of the 90s where I'm like, right. you were, I shouldn't like you. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. I hear people like, no, I, I went and saw Carrot Top and he was fine. He was funny. He made me laugh. He's also a very nice guy. And it's like, well, I have to reconsider now because, you know, I just dismissed him out of hand and then forgot how much I loved him as a kid. Now, it might be super cheesy. It's not going to be deep. We're not we're not getting any levels here, I don't think. But no, it's 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 visual puns. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and and it, like he, I remember hearing him uh, interviewed on like WTF, and he talked about how his like, you know, he just went to an open mic and he he had brought like a like a road sign that he had found, and that he altered it in some way to make a joke out of it, mm-hmm. and that all of his other jokes bombed, but people like the road sign, and then like the the club manager, or the booker, or whoever said you should come back, but you should do more of that stuff, and then he built his act that wow. way. Wow shit it's crazy like how, how you hear these stories from a certain period where like the you know the the club manager or some kind of a, an agent or something you know what no 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 you know what you are you're you're the guy with the flared pants that's that's your thing you're flared pants guy that's you right. do well, that for the rest of your career yeah uh, yeah hello sinbad um <laughs> <laughs> really if, if you could if you could look kind of like a genie so that people will remember you uh-huh. re- so people will make up a genie movie in their head that uh-huh. you, do, you don't actually start in that would be perfect um <laughs> Oh my god! It never uh, occurred to me it was the pants that that made people think that. Oh, it's the it's the it's it's his clothes. He oh all god. you do you put the you put the racist uh, turban on his head and he's yeah, a genie. Of course. He's a oh, he's the, he's he's basically Robin Williams and Aladdin. Uh-huh. Um, so, but what I was gonna oh shoot what was I gonna say? I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. We're, it's just words. Yeah. <laughs> we, Can I tell we, you, spe- speaking of words, my favorite line on this, it's so dumb. It's so dumb, but him talking about, and again, it, it also comes from, I would say, something that maybe he has a little more perspective on, but he's talking about uh, not doing well financially, uh, but he does talk about living above a sex shop and basically uh, subsisting uh, yeah. off of day-old chocolate cocks, and that was really funny. Yeah, day-old chocolate cocks is a, <laughs> is a great phrase. <laughs> and then he's like, then he talks about having to eat them, and he's like... <laughs> you can just you can just see you know the act out of it and uh in your head from the from the noises he's kind of making uh-huh. in protest you know because it's like this should be food <laughs> you know um i enjoyed that yeah he was a he was one of those he he moved to uh san francisco and and built up his act there before eventually moving to la for i think tv jobs that's crazy and it, what's interesting to me is uh I don't know if I'll ever get him on the show, uh, but if I do, I, I realize the first thing I ever saw him in or noticed who he was, uh, he plays a sandwich delivery guy in uh, My Fellow Americans starring Jack Lemon and James Garner. I've he's, seen that movie, but I don't remember that at all. Yeah, he's, I'll like, have no, to... he's just delivering a sandwich, It's like, and then he gets arrested. Uh, that's it. He's got like two lines in the whole thing. They're... Are they both former presidents in they're that movie? They're both former presidents, and they're both on the run. I still love it. I <laughs> insist to this day it's great. But can I tell you something weird? Guy who directed that also directed the Get Smart movie with Steve Carell, and he literally steals one of his own jokes from from My Fellow Americans and puts it in the Get Smart movie. I'm talking beat <laughs> for beat. Steals his own physical. Wow! Gag. If you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna, here's the thing: nobody saw My Fellow Americans, I know. so it's so it's kind of like well. You know, like, like I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't squeeze this one for all it was worth yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's got pre West Wing, uh, in the White House, Bradley Whitford. Uh, Bradley that guy Whitford just looks like a guy who works in the White House. It's true. He's in. I'm gonna guess his only scene ever with Wilford Brimley. Uh, they both have uh, reversed initials. I just realized that. 
Uh, Wilford Brimley tortures Bradley Whitford in a movie. I like how that's super notable. In my brain, it is. I can't. I was like, why am I connecting them in my brain? Oh, WBBW. There we go. That makes sense. Uh, of course. That's why they. That's why they cast them. Of course. It is. That's how all casting in movies. Bradley Whitfield's in the will. in the casting office with other BWs. <laughs> <laughs> we just need a. We need the right BW to to be uh, opposite WB. <laughs> I re- oh man, honestly, it's a movie I don't. I won't recommend people revisit it because it's probably just my nostalgia flavoring it, but I love it, and I still I, it still makes me laugh. I saw it when it came out. That's a mid '90s movie, mid yep. to late '90s. Yep. So there you go. There's there's Danny Gould trying to make it. Hollywood. He's one of those guys who who did pilot season like X number of years in a row, mm-hmm. and none of the shows it shot a bunch of pilots, and none of them ever went to series. He thought he was going to be a he thought he was going to be a household name, and it sure. never quite happened. Uh, kind of like what happened with uh, Dave Chappelle, except Dave Chappelle went on to have a smash hit sex, uh, uh, sketch show. Yeah, I can't imagine Dave Chappelle on a on a sitcom. I mean, I guess I can a little bit, but I he broke such ground with sketch comedy that it's like it's okay. Right. At least in my head, it's fine. It, yeah, it, yeah, he sitcom. did like he did. I think he did. Dave Chappelle literally did six years of pilots that didn't go. Holy shit! And he made a ton of money because. Sure. Uh, because they pay you to make those pilots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, then, you know, you go to the yeah, right one, you're probably making just... six figures for one episode. You know. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they they don't pick it up. He was, uh, <laughs> and and, a, and I and I guess he quit. And eventually, he was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he went out, went off and did his own thing. I guess eventually, uh, you know, or I think uh, Neil Neil Brennan was was a big factor in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Neil uh, Brennan was his co-producer on. Uh, on Chappelle's show. Oh yes, that's right. I keep see. And I the, keep forgetting that. And the guy, and I think the guy who like got Chappelle to like show up for work and like <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff, you know, because Chappelle's like sort of famously always late, mm-hmm. and and you know only, and I've heard Neil Brennan say. Dave only cared when there was an audience in the seats, like in, uh, like the live audience for the sketch show. So if they were, he said, if there were people, and if there were more people, he was more on. And if there were less people, or if they were further away, he didn't care as much, and he didn't try as hard. That's so funny to me. Like he couldn't, he couldn't act for the cameras; he had to act for the audience. That's really fucking funny. Um, so here's the thing: I want to make sure that you recommend. Well, you don't have to recommend this album, but if you are going to recommend Funhouse. 1998, Dana Gould. Uh, I will say our friends at Stand Up Records are the people who released the uh, vinyl version, and that's what I have right here. Um, what's, uh, What's a good reason to listen to this album if you haven't heard it before? A good reason to listen to this album is that it is a document of a extremely specific time in stand-up where, uh, much like the alternative music boom of the early 90s, like when suddenly Nirvana's the most popular band in the world, uh, the most popular kind of comedy for a brief moment became the comedy of the weirdos with the very specific and uh, and nerdy references, but also it had an edge to it. Now, uh, so they were like cool. Uh, they were they were cool and interesting and specific. Now, you're there's going to be tracks on here that you're going to absolutely hate. And as mm-hmm. soon as you hear one of those, you can just skip right ahead. Don't feel like you missed anything. Just skip right ahead. Just take the, uh, uh, just pull the needle up and move it to the next, uh, move it to the next groove. You'll be fine. Um, and uh, but but besides those, I think that there are tracks on here that are just as good as anything else ever. And to hear the and to hear the guy performing his heart out and. Uh, and uh, and doing these uh, voices and stuff, but he's doing it in a context where it doesn't feel like you're trained to to think it should be like that it's hacky or that it's Michael Winslow or that it's uh, or that it's like uh, you know how Kevin Pollock will do impressions or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. Uh, I think that there's a there's a cool to it, and I think that is it is uh, it is of its time in a way that's that's very interesting, and I would be really interested to see if comedy's gonna sort of swing back around in this direction again you know and i uh i i hadn't thought of it in in the uh terms you've been speaking of it uh, you know just the idea just simply doing voices or doing a sound or like you say being just being more performative i can't disagree with that i think i think i like the idea of that happening happening a bit more i would love to see that 
is it something that you would be comfortable like actually like what would it take for you to break out of any shell that might be there to actually do that thing i think actually you know listening to this over this past week like over and over again uh in preparation for this show has really made me think a lot about what i'm doing and how i have bits where there's i mean i have a specific bit where i'm uh, which is from my real life where I'm stopped by the cops uh, and they think I robbed a bank, but I didn't rob the bank. And then something really embarrassing happens. Oh um, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't commit the crime, but it would have been more embarrassing if they just arrested me for a crime that I committed or less embarrassing rather. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> like if I, if I had just robbed the bank and they arrested me for it, that would be less embarrassing for what they discovered oh, no. uh, when they searched me. But, um, but the, uh, but I, but I have a whole thing where I'm a bit where I'm talking to the police officer and he's like sort of interrogating me. And, uh, and I would like for that bit to be more, and it works fine. You know, I get my laughs, but, Mm -hmm. but I would like it to feel more like I'm really having a conversation with another person. And I think I would actually like to make that cop a character that I'm doing and to make myself more of a character. I think I would like to, to do more act outs. I'm, and I've done a, I've done improv too, where you're encouraged to do all that stuff. And that definitely helped me uh, be more loose on the stage and more improvisational, which I very much am. I have my bits and then I go in and out of them and talk to the crowd. Uh, I mean, I'm not Jimmy Pardo or anything, but mm-hmm. I, but that's what I aspire to. Uh, but I, but I definitely would like to, I would like to act stuff out. I would like to try and do more stuff. I mean, I would like if there's if something calls for an impression, I would like to I would like to at least give it a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what's interesting too is I feel like there's this there's this self-awareness and self-consciousness that comes with doing impressions where it changes the timing of a bit where if you're just talking and saying for instance, well then the cop said, well and the cop walks up to me. And if you're just doing your voice, you don't have to do any sort of Uh, physical separation necessarily but there is this temptation when you're doing a character to give it some breadth so that there's just distance between your voice and the other voice which you know so it's interesting because it would pro i would guess it would it's going to change the timing of a bit if you do a voice but i'm also really want to know what it does to the bit and if it gives you extra confidence if it changes your perception of your own stuff that's interesting I think uh, I think it's going to be an experiment. Now, I also, I mean, I've been teaching stand-up classes for the past uh, for the past few months as well. There's an improv theater that asked me to do it because uh, I'm acquainted with them. Awesome, and it's been uh, it's been really interesting. I mean, like a lot of comics say, uh, you had you actually actually uh, I was very inspired by your podcast because I was asked to do this, and I was a little reticent because so many comedians are patently against the idea of stand-up classes yeah uh and because of well there's a lot of bitterness and jealousy having to do with anything where anybody makes any money ever Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) the idea that you're ripping people off because you can't teach people to be funny yeah as if that's what having a class is designed to do Mm -hmm. uh the class the idea of a stand-up class is like hey why don't you get used to all of the apparatus of stand-up and maybe get in a room where you're forced to write some jokes and talk to other people and sort of workshop things and you know throw a little bit of theory in there whatever and then maybe that'll make you better prepared to have to go uh into a bar with zero people paying attention where you have to get up on stage in front of strangers for the first time like that's the and you had jimmy pardo on here and he talked about that very same thing, which is also mentioned on Never Not Funny a couple of times. And every time I hear it, it reminds me that I don't have to, I don't have to listen to other. You shouldn't listen to other comics anyway because no. they're assholes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they really I, well, are. I, you know, I'm also even the ones I even the ones I love and my friends. <laughs> You know, I, I and I won't go off on this today because I feel like it's an essay worth of stuff. But sure. I'm not a big fan of uh, people f- believing in in and a lot of people that I admire do uh, believing in being naturally funny. I don't believe that. I also don't believe. Oh, in the word talent. I, I just don't believe it. I'm I'm actually in your exact same camp. I think that that's bullshit. And I think that that well, honestly, if you start telling people you're either funny or you're not. Mm-hmm. then you're just telling a whole bunch of people that they should never even try exactly and you're and and we're missing out on people who could be some of the uh, great and amazing performers and it's like just like anything it's like uh if you said to somebody uh you're either a banker or you're not <laughs> all right you, 
And if you don't know how to be a banker right now, then you never will. <laughs> Good but God. We, that's but, the perfect way to put it. Oh, yeah, cool. exactly. And it's like, well, geez, I don't know anything. I mean, oh, I don't even know. I, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what FDIC stands for. I guess I can't be a <laughs> I banker. Yeah. I guess, well, and there's certainly no way to learn. <laughs> yeah, that's what, one of the things we use the word talent to to uh, just brush off any skill we've had and that's like wait hold on yeah. i've tried for years to do this i think i'm okay at this i've i've gotten here because of my own effort not because i was born with this like what the hell like right. it's just anyway like i say i could well, go on for well, hours. people well people talk and then people say things that are the polar opposites of each other practically in the same breath mm -hmm. they say they say oh you're either you're funny or you're not and then they also say it takes 10 years to get good at stand yeah, right Right. So, I mean, which is it, honestly? And it's like, so the yeah, the idea that that you can't be taught or that you or that you can't be funny, you know, people learn to do things. People learn to sing. People learn to dance. Why can't people learn to tell jokes? It's not. It's yeah. and and also the idea that jokes are honestly, it's not as mystical as people think it is. No. It's like a joke has a setup and a punchline, and if you can remember that um and think about it in those terms that hey here's some context and then here's a thing that you expect and then the thing that you expect doesn't happen and instead i've put a little twist in here and done something different uh that's literally what comedy is yeah yeah people people need to calm the fuck down and like you say yeah, i really love do. the idea you know that there are people out there who might be uh you know have this undiscovered talent and it's okay fucking try it's okay to try it's fucking okay to try. I was It's definitely okay to try. And and, and guess what? That's why there's open mics. No one can yeah. stop you. No. If you're out there and you're thinking about and I just want to say, if you're out there and you're listening to this show because you love comedy and you've thought, Oh, I could never do stand up. I could never be funny like those people are funny. And it's like, yeah, neither could they ten years ago or yep. twenty years ago. Yep. Uh they had to get up there and be in front of people and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. Uh and you know, and 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 it took. It, they just had to overcome it, and it's the same thing with. Uh, you know, I heard Chris Hardwick say once that you should do stand up a hundred times before you even decide if you're if you should continue to do stand up if you're any good or not. Yeah. Um. And so then I did. <laughs> I did stand up a hundred times in my first year. Holy shit! And uh, well, and after you do that, you're like, well, I'm in it now. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. So it was a good goal, and you only have to do it twice a week. Uh, and luckily, uh, where I am in Rochester, we have a really good comedy scene. That's we have awesome. a lot of open mics. We have a lot of opportunities to get up and a lot of people putting on small shows that you can get on. And then we have a club and, and then there's the whole region. We have a lot of cities nearby that you can do stuff around in too. So it's, it's worked out really well for me, but there's no reason why if, if you think you can do it, don't let anybody tell you that you're not funny. Go up there and, you know, prove it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's perfect. This this is a good way to end it, but let's also make sure uh tell people where they can find you and your podcast and your show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. So uh let's see here. So I'm Woody Battaglia. I'm on Twitter at Woody Battaglia. That is W-O-O-D-Y B-A-T-T-A-G-L-I-A. -T -T -A -A. You got the silent G there, like in lasagna. <laughs> uh let's see here. I am uh, my radio show is called Almost Tuesday. That is a comedy variety show. You'll be surprised at how many notable guests we get to call into us here in Rochester, New York. And also, we have an amazing music scene here. We have bands play every week in the studio, uh, which is a, a whole different kind of undertaking. And that's uh, every Monday night from 9 to 11 uh, Eastern Time. That's uh, wayofm.org. And... My podcast is My Dinner with, or My Minute with Andre, which is about uh, my dinner with Andre uh, in unnecessary detail. <laughs> uh, we, we go through it a, a minute at a time. And then there's uh, some bonus episodes with uh, stuff like me meeting Wallace Shawn in real life. So and, good. Uh, stuff like that. Even if you don't know what this movie is, I mean, you'll know by listening to the, you wouldn't even have to watch the movie, honestly, for what the amount that we talk about it i didn't and you'll be able to <laughs> and i'll be able to show. hear uh you'll be able to hear jason in a in a couple of weeks or whatever depending on when this comes out. when so, by the time this uh, comes out two it's episodes been out for a while 
I'll just say that. I'll just warn you. I'm so behind. I'm, I I think I'm two months behind on episodes now because of oh, okay. how Great. crazy so shit went. So go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go back right now uh-huh. and listen to Jason on My Minute with Andre. And, listen- and you can get that anywhere you get podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, wherever. Wherever the hell. Spotify. Listen for all the times he had to edit out me shoehorning in my Wallace Shawn impression. Um, oh, no, no, no. That's all in. <laughs> oh, no. no. I, oh, oh, no. I've kept all of that in, Jason. Oh, no. The magic. I just, I just kept out. I just kept out all the uh, all the, the the shit talking about other famous podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, I didn't even remember we did that. I'm glad you did that. Uh, don't don't worry, like, I got I got I got both of our backs. As as if anybody's gonna listen, right? Here. But still, but still, to be polite, hey, not everything's for everybody. I no. think that's the important thing to remember. Exactly. Uh, I never tell anybody this, but I'm on Twitter at jklam, J-K-L-A-M-M. I've been more active on Instagram uh, at Jason Klom, which is really what I should have been on Twitter. But if you go to Twitter, I'm on Jason... Instagram too. You'll mostly see pictures of uh, of people playing music on my radio show, which pretty will awesome. remind you to listen to the radio show, which looked pretty cool. Uh, and also, you know, performance stuff around town here. So if you want to look at comedians and look at uh, uh, look at uh, bands playing in a radio studio, then uh, then I'm Woody Battaglia, also on Instagram. Awesome. Uh, and I think the only other thing to say is uh, go to uh, bit.ly forward slash comedy albums. That'll take you to Celery Sound Records, my sketch comedy record label. Uh, we, by this, I, I'm not going to say it in here because I don't know if we'll have announced it. But by, by the time this comes out, we may have released, re-released this 1961 stand-up comedy album that is really fun, is out of print, and now uh, we are the ones redistributing it. And we might actually be about to redistribute actually distribute some stuff that nobody has ever heard from another uh, kind of legendary or at least obscure and influential comic. Uh, that's all I can say. Just go to bit.ly forward slash comedy albums and there's, there should be some stuff there. And later this year, my third comedy album with my sketch group will be out as well. Um, and that should be done with, with some fun guest appearances by people you've heard on this podcast before. Uh, that's about well, now it. Now I'm excited. So Woody, thank you so much for doing the show. Jason, it has been my. I mean, I, I've heard this show for uh, for a couple of years now, and I'm uh, I'm really so glad to have uh, been able to talk to you about uh, about a record that uh, that was really influential on in my life in a weird way, and not because of all the horrible stuff in it. I just want to reiterate. <laughs> well, you're welcome back anytime, and I uh, I'm glad that it's in any way affected your life, uh, even if it's just I heard it in my ears a bunch, and that's cool. That that, sure. that makes me happy. Uh, well, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 